I want to welcome you this Easter Sunday. Happy Easter, everybody. If you haven't had somebody tell you that this morning, I hope you already have, but if not, then let me be the first. Happy Easter. And it should be happy indeed, because Easter is a celebration of our risen Lord. Jesus conquered death. And that's what everything is about today. It was a day that changed the world forever. Eternity was altered on the very first Easter. And the series that we have been in, the teaching series that we've been doing over the last couple of weeks, has been all about building towards Easter. And this series, Got Dirt, came to me, I think the Lord gave it to me, last spring. Anybody in here like to garden, like to get out and work in the yard, all that kind of dirty work? I love that stuff. And last spring, I was out doing my spring planting. We have a a quarter acre lot, and we got a lot of landscaping on it. If I'd have known how much work that was going to be, I probably wouldn't have bought that house. But I didn't, so I did, and now I do it. So lots of landscaping work, and I was doing a lot of that last year. And I came in one day at the end of a long day outside in the dirt, and I saw myself in the bathroom mirror. I was standing there, getting ready to go take a shower. I just had all my clothes and everything still on, and I turned and just caught a glimpse of what I looked like after a day out in the dirt. I was filthy. I had been sweating. My clothes were just hanging off of me because they were so drenched with sweat, with mud, with blood, with bug spray and sunscreen, with just filthy dirt. And I remember looking in that mirror, and it just hit me out of the blue, just this sudden overwhelming thought, this is what I must look like standing before a pure and holy God. Filthy, dirty, covered in sin, spiritual dirt. This is what I must look like standing before Him, covered in dirt. Last week, we talked about the, the dirt in a, in a way that was kind of an interesting approach to dirt. I th- we talked about how ministry is dirty. What Jesus called us to do as believers, followers of him, is to get dirty. He taught a parable one time, a story, about a man who was traveling from here to there. And as he traveled, a band of robbers came and beat the fool out of him stole everything he had, and left him for dead in the ditch. This man was laying alongside the road, just all laying there bloody and beaten, down in the ditch, muddy, dirty, covered in filth. And and he had to have this hopeless feeling of, am I going to die like this, laying in a ditch? And along came a priest, a priest from the temple. This Jewish man sees a Jewish priest and you know his heart has to soar. Maybe, oh, maybe this guy's going to save me the priest. Surely this man of God will pull me out of the ditch, clean off my dirt, bandage my wounds, take care of me, help me heal. But the priest, as he approached the man in the ditch, saw the man and he actually changed lanes. He went to the other side of the road and he walked on by. A little while later, a Levite That would be like a church staff guy, you know, like one of those other pastors. He came walking up. The Levites were a tribe of the nation of Israel, and God had set them aside in the Old Testament as the caretakers of the temple. So this guy would be looking at this Levite, this church staff pastor type guy, and he would have been thinking, surely this man. But the Levite, too, walked to the other side of the road and kept on going. 
As Jesus told the story, he said just a little while later, another man came walking up the road. Surely the man in the ditch, dying, muddy and bloody in the ditch, looks up and thinks, maybe this guy will help me. Oh, no. No, not this. It's a Samaritan. We think of a good Samaritan as the Boy Scout or the, the friendly neighbor that helps out in a bad situation or whatever. But back in the day, the Samaritans and the Jews were bitter enemies. And so the man in the ditch, the Jewish man in the ditch, muddy, bloody, dying, sees a Samaritan coming. He thinks, well, maybe this guy will just put me out of my misery. I mean, that would be a blessing at this point. But no, the Samaritan, unlike the two men of God, supposedly, the Samaritan approaches and he helps. He bandages. He cleans. He loads him on his donkey, takes him to an inn, pays for his care in advance for weeks on end. And Jesus said, which of these men was a neighbor to the man who was robbed. And the people he was telling the story to answered rightly. They said, well, the one who took care of him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go and do likewise. Two weeks ago when we kicked the series off, when we started this got dirt scenario, we saw how Jesus showed his disciples what it means to love other people. They were gathering in the upper room of a, another man's house, somebody that wasn't a part of the group, to celebrate the Passover feast. It would be like our Good Friday get-together if you do that. It's like that was when it was. It would have been on actually the Thursday night, the day before the Sabbath. They would have been gathering and preparing. And really what they were having was what we now know as the Last Supper. And as they sat down at the table, Jesus and all of his disciples, Jesus did something really weird. Something kind of dumbfounding to his disciples. He got up from the table. He began to take off his clothes. He got down to what was essentially his underwear, tied a towel around his waist, grabbed a bowl of water, and he went around the table and he washed his disciples' feet. Something that a slave or a servant should have done. Jesus was demonstrating for his disciples what he was about to do for them and for you and for me and for all humanity on the cross. He was putting himself under, making himself less than, and elevating them in importance. That was how he led, and that was how he loved. And when he finished washing the disciples' feet, he told them, what I have done for you, go and do likewise. Two weeks, two stories, two different books of the Bible, two different scenarios. Jesus demonstrates his love, and he says, go and do likewise. This morning, the message I want you to understand is that we're to go and do likewise. As we open up the Word of God, we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about the 72 hours that followed the foot washing. Three days that followed the foot washing. What happened? Jesus and his disciples left the upper room. They went out to the Garden of Gethsemane, and they were hanging out. Jesus went alone to pray, told his disciples to stay back and pray for him. Jesus was so troubled, he literally sweated drops of blood. He knew what was coming, and then it came. He was betrayed into the hands of men who wanted to kill him. Betrayed by Judas, one of his twelve disciples, one of the men whose feet he had just washed in love. Judas came and brought the, the captors with him, and he betrayed Jesus with a kiss. Jesus was arrested, and he was hauled off and put into a mockery of a trial. 
real sham of a legal proceeding. He was convicted wrongly of a crime he obviously did not commit. Jesus was then sentenced to die, but not just to die, to die the worst possible death that the Roman judicial system allowed to be crucified, nailed to a couple of planks, beaten, bloodied, and left to hang there until he literally suffocated from the weight of his own body, compressing his lungs. Sentenced to die like that. And then he was stripped, he was beaten, he was embarrassed and belittled. And we pick up in Mark chapter 15, verse 21. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, verse 21. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open those up. If you don't, that's okay. We're going to have the scriptures up here on the screen so you can follow along. Jesus has gone through all of that, and he is about to be crucified. He is leaving the place where he's been tried, convicted, beaten, bloodied, belittled, embarrassed, and they give him his cross to carry. He had to carry his own cross to be crucified. And he's out walking with the cross and there's crowds gathered and they're shouting and jeering and, and, and all this stuff. And Jesus is walking with his cross and, and here we go. Verse 21, a certain man from Cyrene, a man named Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way in from the country. And they, they being the Roman soldiers, forced him to carry Jesus' cross. Jesus was so bloodied, so bloodied, so beaten, so weakened from all that had happened since they captured him in the garden until they gave him his cross. He couldn't even carry the cross any farther. So they grabbed Simon of Cyrene and they forced him into service and he had to carry Jesus' cross. Verse 22, they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. That's a rock around Jerusalem that literally looks like a human skull and that's where they took people to be crucified. Then they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it and they crucified him. They crucified him. That verse doesn't tell you what that looked like, but the video a little while ago did. They nailed him to a cross, hands and feet. They put a crown of thorns on his head. They placed a placard that was the charge against him, the king of the Jews, what he had claimed to be, and what the chief priests and the teachers of the law said he was not. And after he had been nailed to the planks, they dropped them down into a hole so it will stand up. And you can imagine the impact as that falls into the hole and you're nailed to it. They crucified him. They divided up his clothes and cast lots to see who would get what. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, the king of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right, one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it back in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him amongst themselves. <laughs> he saved others, they said, <laughs> but he can't even save himself. Some powerful God. Woohoo! You can just hear it, can't you? Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, Come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him also heaped insults upon him. It's just like that scene in the video. The two men flanking Jesus in the same situation, not nearly as badly treated, just still nailed to the cross. 
Even they were hurling insults until the final moments when the one realized he was next to the Christ. Imagine in that moment what Jesus looked like. Think about the video we just saw. Most scholars believe that video does no justice. It's the best rendition we've probably ever seen, but we probably can't bear the truth of what the crucifixion of Christ really looked like. The beating that he took, how bloodied, how mutilated he would have been. Filthy, bloody, muddy, dirty. But all of that was just physical dirt. That was just physical dirt. He had not yet gotten truly dirty. He had not yet taken on the spiritual dirt, the sins of all mankind. But he is about to. Verse 33. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Jesus has been hanging on the cross for six hours. And at three in the afternoon, he cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani! Which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's in this moment when Jesus, in anguish, cries out, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's in this moment that most scholars believe that Jesus took on that spiritual dirt, the filth from my life and from your life, from the life of every man, woman, and child who had ever lived from the beginning of time until the end. And when he did get dirty, when he got spiritually filthy with our sin, Jesus was ripped from the Trinity, torn away for the first time in all of eternity from God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. He had existed eternally with them, three in one, one in three. But in that moment when he was covered in our filth, he could no longer be with them. They're perfect, they're pure, they're holy. And he was no longer like that. He was dirty. And he was ripped from the Trinity. And in that moment, the Bible says, the earth quaked. And the curtain in the temple ripped from the top to the bottom and was split. Such a violent reaction to the ripping apart of the Trinity. Verse 37, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. He took on our dirt. He got filthy. Just like he got filthy when he washed his disciples' feet. He got their dirt all over him. Just like the good Samaritan got down in the ditch with the injured man and got his filth all over him. Jesus went to the cross and he got your filth in mind, your sin in mind, all over him. And then he died. Can you imagine what his followers felt like? Standing at the foot of the cross, mixed into the crowd, hiding some of them, fearful that they might be next. What did the followers feel like in that very first moment, those hours following the crucifixion? They had to be scared to death. They had to be bewildered, dumbfounded. They had to be shocked out of their minds. This was the man that they thought was God. They believed with all of their hearts. They had given up everything and followed him. Some of them for three years, left families, left professions, done all this stuff. And now... Our Savior, our Messiah, the one who came to deliver us, he's 
dead. And yet we know how much they must have still loved him, as confused and befuddled and dumbfounded as they might have been. They loved him, and we know that because they buried him. They asked for his body, they found a tomb, and they buried Jesus. Mark chapter 16, verse 1, a couple of days later, when the Sabbath was over. The Sabbath in Jewish culture is from Friday midnight to Saturday midnight. Jesus has been crucified. The Sabbath begins that evening. It runs all the way through Saturday night. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, three women who were followers of Christ, brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. They went very early on the first day of the week, that Sunday, Easter Sunday, the very first Easter Sunday. Early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, and they were on their way to the tomb when they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? Because the Roman authorities had sealed the tomb and stationed guards there because they had heard that Jesus had prophesied that he would rise after three days. So they put this huge stone to block the entrance. They posted guards because they thought that some of his followers might come and steal his body and then say that he had been resurrected. But when his followers arrived, the stone has already been rolled away. Verse 4, when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. In some of the other uh, disciples' accounts, some of the other gospels, they talk about the Roman soldiers being like stupefied because of the presence of an angel of the Lord. And these ladies found that angel in verse 5. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. I'd be alarmed at that point. I don't know about y'all. Would you be alarmed? I'd be alarmed. That's just a little digression. I'm sorry. But I would be alarmed. Verse 6, he says, don't be alarmed. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go and tell his disciples. Go and tell Peter. He's going ahead of you into Galilee and there you will see him just as he told you, you would. Ladies and gentlemen, the tomb is empty. They show up to anoint the body of Jesus with spices and oil so that it wouldn't stink. And they found an empty tomb. They found soldiers stupefied. They found an angel of the Lord. And the angel says, he has risen and he has gone ahead of you and will meet you just like he said he would. He's risen. And that is why we celebrate on Easter Sunday. We don't celebrate the death. We don't celebrate the burial. We celebrate the resurrected Christ, the one and only who has ever defeated death. Jesus is risen and the tomb is empty today, just as the tomb was empty on that Easter Sunday. Jesus had overcome he had overcome sin, and he had overcome death, and not just a physical death, not just the death of our bodies, which are temporal, but spiritual death, the death of your eternal soul. Eternal death is eternal separation from God. It is what we call hell. Hell is literally an eternal existence separate from God. Jesus overcame physical death, and Jesus overcame spiritual death. And get this, 
His victory is your victory. His victory is our victory. See, Jesus did it for us. He didn't have to die. Jesus didn't have to die. He was not sin-stained. Jesus did not have any spiritual dirt. None. He was pure, holy, sin-free. He died for you and for me. He died so that we might be cleansed of our spiritual dirt. It was like somebody took a fleet of spiritual dump trucks and dumped all of that on him. And he took it to the grave and he rose again and he left it there. Your sin and my sin. Jesus didn't have to die. He wasn't dirty. We're dirty. He died for us. And his victory is our victory. And we celebrate that victory on Easter Sunday. And the way that Jesus set all of this up, actually the way that God the Father set all of this up, is like this. We can join in that victory, not just celebrate the victory. Some of you are here this morning to celebrate the victory, but you've not even started to participate in the victory. You're not on the team. You're here because you come to church at Christmas and at Easter, because that's what people do. It's a cultural thing. We go to church on the big church holidays. Jesus died to cleanse us, and he invites us to be on his team to celebrate his victory with him, to make his victory our victory. And he has a short, simple process for how we can do that. So if you're here this morning celebrating Easter, but you haven't joined in to the victory, if you're celebrating like when our team wins the Super Bowl, but you don't play for the team, we still claim it, but you don't really get to, you don't get a ring, right? Anybody, anybody in this room get a ring when the Cowboys won those three Super Bowls back in forever ago? Anybody get a ring when the Rangers won the American League the last two years? I didn't get a ring. I celebrated, but I am ring free. Jesus says we can have the ring. We can be on the team and we do it like this. Number one, you have to come clean. You got to come clean. You got dirt. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Come clean. Admit that you're a sinner. Just confess the fact that you're a sinner. God already knows it. You know it. I know you sin. Here's a secret. Pastors sin too. So now you know I sin. We all sin. Come clean about your sin. Confess your sin. Let the Lord know that you know. Number two, after you come clean and confess, admit your sin, you've got to make a clean break. A clean break is, is, is repentance. It's turning away from your sin. Repent is a military term. It literally means about face. It's, I'm going this way in my sin. Oh my, I'm confronted by my sin. I know now I am a sinner. I confess that I am a sinner. I come clean. Now I need to make a clean break. I need to turn around and go this way back towards God. So if you come clean and you make a clean break and then you ask Jesus to do what only Jesus can do, and that is to send the Holy Spirit to make a clean sweep through your life. That clean sweep is the power that we have as followers of Christ over sin, over temptation. Not that we will ever live perfect in this life. We will not. I do not. 
I became a Christian, a follower of Christ. I, 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 I confessed my sin. I came clean. I made a clean break and asked Jesus to make a clean sweep some 17, 18 years ago. But I still sin today. But Jesus sent the Holy Spirit into my life 18 years ago, and he has been sweeping out all of the impurities, one thing at a time. He reveals them to me one at a time. He gives me power to overcome them one at a time. I have conviction about them one at a time. And he has been working in my life, one sin, one speck of dirt, one grain of sand at a time for 18 years. And I'm a work in progress. And Jesus invites you to join that work in progress club, to be on the team, to be in the victory as he gave the victory to you. It's all about having this readiness to come clean, to make a clean break, and to ask the Holy Spirit to come and make a clean sweep through your life. And as you do, Jesus will give you the kind of life where you can respond to his command to go and do likewise, to love God and to love others, to live in victory, live in the victory of the risen Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today that you sent your son Jesus to die a sacrificial death, to pay the penalty, to take my dirt, my filth, my sin. God, I thank you that he left it buried when he resurrected with power over of sin and death. And I thank you, God, that he invited me and everybody else in this room to participate in that victory, to join in the celebration, but also to live the victory in our lives. Jesus said, go and do likewise. If we're going to go and do likewise, we've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We've got to come clean, make a clean break, and have a clean sweep. And we can live clean in Christ when we do that. This morning, I want to invite anybody that's here who is celebrating Easter, but who is not participating in the victory, to do that very thing, to come clean and confess that you're a sinner. Just say it right now in a prayer. You don't have to say it out loud. Just, you don't have to raise your hand or identify yourself in any way. Right now, though, if you're that person sitting there, say this to God. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've messed up. I've done things my way and not your way. I have done wrong. If you know that, you mean that, and you're confessing that to God, then take the next step. Make a decision today that you'll make a clean break a clean break from that sin that you will turn and go the other way about face, walk away from your sin and walk towards God. And if you will ask right now the Holy Spirit to come and fill in your life, to fill in your heart, literally to take up residence, to live within you, the Holy Spirit will give you the power to make that clean break, to live that life where the clean sweep is the ongoing process as you deal with one issue, one sin, one grain of dirt at a time. And you can live a clean life, a life where you can go and do likewise as Jesus commanded. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for those this morning who have prayed that prayer here at Elevation Church or anywhere else in your kingdom. God, I pray that the kingdom of God grows phenomenally today. And that each person 
this morning, whether they are praying that prayer for the first time, whether they have been walking with you forever, maybe even they're still holding off, holding you at arm's length, wondering if you're real. God, I pray that we would leave here this morning changed men and women, that you would have penetrated and affected our hearts. God, we thank you for Easter, for a risen Christ who gave his body and his blood to cleanse us so that on our day of judgment, we can answer the question, got dirt? With a resounding, no, I've got Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.